Well, brothers and sisters, uh, it's good to be back uh, with you. I don't feel like I missed any time. I just got back uh, from the train last night, uh, catching my breath this morning. But uh, glad to report that we had a great annual meeting uh, at the annual meeting of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And uh, lots uh, of good stuff to report on that um, we'll make some space for in the, in the coming month um, as the denomination puts together their report. Um, I am happy to, to report we have a new president, Tammy Swanson Dreheim, uh, first woman president in the denomination's history, and she's awesome. So that's really exciting. Uh, I'm excited about that and how her leadership is going to continue, continue to support uh, this movement known as the Evangelical Covenant Church. And uh, we have an exciting day with uh, two of our supported missionaries here with us. Uh, Jake and Christina Evans are here with us and their family, and Brad and Lucy Kaspar and their family. And you're going to get to hear from both of them today. Uh, so I'm going to make my time up here much briefer than usual. That's weird. My notes say pause for applause. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting a more of a reaction there. But we're going to dive right in. Jesus' teaching on loving our enemies is, I believe, one of the most inspiring things that Jesus ever said. It's one of the most unique things in human history, and I think you'll agree with me, it's one of the most needed teachings in history right now. It's also one of the most difficult to practice. But despite its difficulty, we need to learn how to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of Jesus Christ. So if you want to open up your Bibles with me, we're going, to, we're going to jump right in. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. And uh, Jesus starts again by quoting something that people had heard at, in his time. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this was a popular proverb of the day. Um, and although you might see some passages in the Old Testament that might imply this idea, this proverb is actually not found uh, in the Old Testament. It's not found in the Bible. And perhaps it developed like this. God says to love my neighbor. And so perhaps people like the scribe who tested Jesus, they said, well, well, who then is my neighbor? Who am I called to love? Who do I have to love? Well, they might look at the context of where this verse came from. Leviticus 19, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Here's the whole context of it. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if Christians could just obey this one commandment in its own context? Uh, but it says, a neighbor is a member of my community, my people, a fellow Israelite. So what do I do with those who are not part of my community? Well, those people, they worship other gods. So they are against God and his ways. So therefore, they are God's enemies and therefore our enemies. In fact, in the Old Testament, foreign nations around Israel were often the literal enemies at war with Israel all the time, right? So in the time of Jesus, it's the Gentiles, the nations at large, but especially the Romans who are the enemies of the people of God. And so the people reasoned, God calls us to love our neighbor, but we ought to hate our enemy because they're the enemies of God. So we've established that an enemy in the time of Jesus is typically someone outside the community of God's people. However, the Old Testament knew of and does speak about enemies inside the community. Exodus 23, put up the screen for you. 
If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you uh, fallen down under its load, do not leave it there, but be sure to help them with it. So this is in the Old Covenant. So they're talking about someone who is inside the people of God, a fellow Israelite. And we're not given a reason why this person in the community has become your enemy. Could be someone that you're in a legal dispute with. Could be someone who has simply wronged you or harmed you, someone who is against you, someone you now resent. It also could be the case that this person hates you for some reason, maybe for something you did. So now we have enemies on the inside as well. But Jesus expands our definition even more. He talks about those who persecute the church. But then he says in verse 46, you can look at this, you're following along. He says, if you love those who love you. So we can take that conversely. An enemy is someone who does not show you love. An enemy is someone who does not love you. And then in verse 47, he says, if you greet only your own people. Talking about the greeting. So an enemy may be someone that you don't greet, that you are not warm and friendly towards because perhaps they are different than you, are not part of your primary community. Now, I went into all this background knowledge because I would think that many of you probably don't think you have any enemies. Or at least you aren't willing to call people by that name because you're a follower of Jesus. But if we think about these categories, we probably all have at least some enemies. Let's think about the enemies a Christian might have. We might think about people that we might think are outside of us. We may think our enemy are, are those liberals or, or those conservatives. Or we, we might think our enemy is the media or the rich and the powerful. We might think it's Muslims or atheists. You might think it's someone who opposes Christian beliefs and values in society. Those people, they're the enemy. If you're an American, you might consider non-Americans or the enemies of America to be your enemy. Whether that's North Korea, Iran, or Afghanistan, or Russia. If someone has a different ethnicity or skin color than you, you might not consider them an enemy, but you may not be as warm and friendly towards them as you are towards the people who look like you. I think Jesus identifies something very important. Even if it's not intentional, we tend not to love people with the same love if we identify them as somehow different than us or outside of our primary community, beliefs, or identity. We tend not to give them the same love. And on top of this, Christians, we have a bad habit of making enemies with each other. Right? Do you carry resentment towards any Christian brothers or sisters because of a wrong they have done to you? Or does someone have an issue with, with you because of something you've done? You may not call this person an enemy. You may not hate them, but are you showing love to them anymore? So consider, you probably have an enemy. If there is anyone, you are secretly happy that they don't succeed. Or you're upset when they do succeed. Or perhaps an enemy, an enemy is anyone you are, you are unwilling or unmotivated to show love towards. An enemy is anyone you might be unwilling or unmotivated to show love towards. And Jesus calls us to love them. 
Jesus calls us to show love to all because God shows love to all. Jesus calls us to love all because God shows love to all. How do we do this? Well, I'm going to give you three quick ideas. The first is this. We need to reject hatred. Now, I think it's very important to note that Jesus directly confronts and repudiates the idea that we ought to hate anybody at all. It's a demonic lie that we should hate human beings who are made and loved by God. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Friends, we're team salt, we're team light, we're team love. We reject hatred. As Paul said, we rid ourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, and slander. We need to rid ourselves of harmful feelings, resentment, hatred feelings towards anyone in all of God's creation because God loves them. I also might suggest to you that you sh we should rid ourselves of indifference to the plight and suffering of others. The second thing we need to do, first we reject hatred. Secondly, we do good to our enemies. Do good to your enemies. Now, when Jesus says to love your enemy, he's not talking about having a, a certain warm feeling, a warm fuzzy in your heart towards this person. I don't think that's probably possible. But as Scott, Scott McKnight says, love cannot be reduced to toleration. We don't just tolerate people. No, but he continues, working for the good of another, including one's enemies, means striving for them to become the sort of person God wants them to be. We want the best for them. We want how God wants them to be. That's what we want and that's what we strive for. That's what we pray for. We want them to find the love, the forgiveness, the grace of Jesus Christ. And in Luke's version of this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. So there are three categories of good things that we, could, we are called to do for our enemy. We're to do good. That's acts of kindness. We're to bless them. Those are our words. And we're to pray for them. So we're to do good things, say good things, and pray good things for our enemy. That's what we're called to do. And so if you have an enemy of any kind, it's imperative that you do something positive for them. And don't discount the power of praying for them. As Jonathan so mentioned in his children's sermon. It's, it's not just cute, it's powerful. Bonhoeffer said, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, we stand by his side, and we plead to them to, for, to God. We plead on their behalf to God. God bless, save, redeem my enemy. Prayer is one of the most kindest things you can do for anybody else. And finally, we need to ask ourselves, what more am I doing than others? Am I doing anything more than anybody else would do? You know, Jesus says in the, in the conclusion of this, we are to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Now, he's not talking about some sinless state, but he's calling us to love as perfectly as God loves, to be perfect in our love, to love people indiscriminately, no matter what they've done, because that's what God does for us. He sends rain, he sends food, he sends blessing on the just and the unjust. And Jesus compares this 
to how sinners in the world love. If you love those who just love you, you're just doing what the world does. If you greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do you love people any differently than the world because of your relationship to Jesus Christ? And friends, again, we're not talking about feelings. Jesus says, what more are you doing? What are you doing more than others? We're to out, are you doing anything for your enemy? Are you doing anything? What more are you doing? That's what Jesus calls us to ask. We are to outdo the world in our love because we've been radically loved by God, even though we were God's enemies, hostile, lovers of darkness rather than light. God came for us. He loved us. He died on that cross. He rose again, and he said to those who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Oh, friends, we've been loved with an incredible, overwhelming, it's a love that almost seems reckless because how would you even love someone like this? But God does this for us. So what is one positive thing you could do for someone who you might consider to be an enemy? Friends, love your enemies. Imitate your Father in heaven and your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, we have two special uh, moments for mission. I'm going to call Jake to come up first. And uh, Jake and Brad, they're two gentlemen who have served in the past, back in their day, uh, in our youth ministry. And now you're going to get to hear an update from them on what God is doing in their lives now. And uh, they might tie in some ideas from the Sermon on the Mount as well. So I'll pass it off to Jake. Well, good morning. It is... Uh, absolutely wonderful to be here again. Um, feels like it's been too long. Many memories uh, here in this building and here in this city. And it's a great privilege to, to come and to bring my family. Um, we've grown since we've been here. I know Joey was, we, we always remember, he was 10 days old when we moved. Graduated grad school at Wheaton College. Um, and then 10 days later, we're down in Indiana for a stint of pastoral ministry there. But since then, we have two more uh, twins, Nick and Natalie, who have, who have uh, um, been a delight to us. And so our family has grown. But we have, Christine and I have fond memories here um, of our time and love to come back and love to see a lot of familiar faces, but also a lot of new faces. And um, to hear of how God has continued to be faithful to this congregation, um, see that even through the pandemic, um, as Stan and others were sharing. Um, so as uh, Nate said, um, Jake Evans used to serve in the youth ministry here, was a graduate student at Wheaton College, 2007 to 2009. Um, currently, we live in Lawrence, Kansas, very exotic place if you ever want to travel somewhere. <laughs> Not as exotic as the Czech Republic, I, I can't compete with that. So, um, but in and of itself, it's a, it's a uh, lovely place. We do um, ministry at the University of Kansas. It's been an exciting time there. You may have heard we won a national championship in basketball again. So Rock Chuck Jayhawk, for sure. It was, it was quite, a, quite an ordeal. We're still working on the football program. So, um, But yeah, we love, I serve with InterVarsity's graduate and faculty ministry there. Um, and just to kind of, as a reminder of what our mission and vision and our commitments are, 
Um, with, with InterVarsity um, and its campus ministries in general, we want to bring the gospel to the campus. We want to see change. We want to see gospel renewal uh, at a very uh, important and culturally significant uh, part of, uh, um, of American life. A lot happens in these formative years. Um, and so we want to, to bring the gospel in a place that um, at one time was a little more amicable to those things, but as time had gone on, less and less. But with the, with the grad and faculty ministry, we have, we have a, a vision of gathering um, in order to equip and encourage graduate students and, and faculty. These are people who are in their master's programs or PhD or are currently serving in a significant um, uh, places of influence within the university structures um, with the idea of uh, helping them become a, have a redeeming influence and in three areas, really among the people, the ideas, and the structures of the university. We're very intentional about those three areas. First, it is about people. You don't have an institution without people. Um, and, and ultimately, the gospel is about a, a personal change in the heart and in relationship to God and in relationship to others. And that's what we want to see happen. But we also believe as those things happen, um, naturally, ideas change. And ideas have consequences. And a university is a place in which ideas are exchanged and, um, and debated and um, are tested and uh, are, have consequences that, that lead um, down certain paths. And so we want to have that kind of gospel influence, not only among people's personal lives, but the wholeness of their lives. Even and as these people gather, they're, they're intellectuals. They, they love the life of the mind, and we think to be a Christian doesn't mean you sacrifice the life of the mind. In fact, um, uh, very, I've been, personally been very influenced by the work of Dallas Willard and the, and the work that he did at the University of Southern California. Um, and you know, he, for him, Jesus was the greatest philosopher as a philosophy professor. And we want to instill that kind of uh, mentality that Christianity is not anti-intellectualism, but it is, it is the epitome of what it means to use the mind for the love of God and for the love of neighbors. Um, but then also the structures, because we're, we're, we're not naive. We know that um, as people gather and they have ideas, they create structures. And those structures can either promote human flourishing or they can diminish human flourishing. And so we want to see the gospel have the kind of impact in which it affects the broader uh, structures of the university to enable human flourishing. We want to see God's goodness, God's love, we want to see mercy, and those kinds of qualities be the ethos of a, of a university, and to be a place in which people come and are changed. Maybe they don't uh, come to faith at their, during their time in university, but they are forever changed and set on a trajectory that maybe someday they will. We want to be a part of that. Um, and so with that, we have our four basic commitments that we strive within these communities of graduate students and faculty. First and foremost, spiritual formation. We want to help students and faculty continue to cultivate um, through the ordinary means of grace a deep and abiding relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is what we want. And we want to, as a parachurch ministry, to come alongside that, supplement that um, in their connection with local congregations. Uh, community. Uh, that is a huge thing graduate school and being 
tenured faculty or aren't trying to get to be a tenured faculty can be a very isolating experience. Um, and sometimes um, uh, they, they can even feel isolated within church communities. And we try to build communities of like-mindedness across disciplines um, to gather them together for mutual encouragement, uh, to encourage each other as they are in a very difficult place oftentimes. Um, whether they're PhD students trying to navigate just the difficulties of getting through their um, examinations and then doing the PhD process, or faculty who are tenured being with faculty who are searching to be tenured and navigating those things, all of that, just community that builds up and encourages. Uh, third is evangelism and service. We want to bring the light of the gospel to the, to, the, uh, to the campus. And so in the past, we've done things like Veritas forums and other kind of uh, exchanges like that where we encourage and promote dialogue. Uh, believing the university is a place where those things should be happening. Um, instead of waiting for, to be invited, we've wanted to create the space where we invite people with opposing views and to model what it means to have respectful civil dialogue um, aimed at getting at the truth. Uh, but also there's other means of encouraging uh, personal evangelism and trying to create an invitational culture where we can invite uh, your, their friends or, for, or faculty into, into appropriate activities to, um, to be able to connect and to share the gospel. And then lastly, um, what differs a little bit from what the undergraduates typically do is we really want to focus on integration of faith learning and practice where we want these, these faculty members and these future faculty members to really begin to think what does it mean to be a Christian scientist or a Christian artist or a Christian psychologist or um, whatever it is. Um, we believe that, that um, scripture and faith has everything to say about who they are and what they pursue and what they value and how they could shape and be an impact in their disciplines um, for the glory of God and for Christ and his kingdom. Um, and so we, we focus on those kinds of things, asking probing questions. You know, what, is, what are these, uh, if we study a passage of scripture, how does this affect how you view your, your role in your department or what it is that you're studying this semester? Uh, what particular uh, impact and shape does that have? Um, now, of course, over the last couple of years, um, things have been somewhat difficult. We were thrown a curveball with the pandemic. Um, and it really kind of um, hit hard in the way that we like to do ministry, which is hospitality. We have found that, especially with graduate students, if you open up your home and you provide good home-cooked uh, home food, they come. Um, it's just, yeah, I see, I see a fist pump here. <laughs> um, Oh, sorry. Yeah, there we go. Okay, thank you. Um, and so that was that was that was a hindrance for a while. Um, uh, I I got fatigued, uh, and I'm sure everybody did meeting over Zoom. It just wasn't the same for us um, in terms of the connection. And so we've been thankful that the last year we've been able to meet um, and start that up. But uh, you know uh, the it's hard to get things going again, and so. And the state of the campus and the state of the culture has been um, interesting as well. 
this is the, a campus is a place where I was telling Nate this morning, uh, that's a place where you really get to practice what it means to love your neighbor. Um, it's as N.T. Wright in one of his newer books, Broken Signposts, uh, points out that um, our, new, our culture of being spiritual but not religious basically means we'll believe in anything but Christianity. And so in many sectors of the campus, um, that's, that's the mentality. And there's a lot of fear and trepidation for students and faculty to be vocal or to be outspoken with their faith or to, or to say anything because of the vitriol that comes back. And so we're, we want to encourage them and help them um, in learning how to navigate that and learning to, to love. And it's, it's almost a time now where it's, it's, it's almost more effective than at any other time to embody the gospel more than it is to preach and to kind of hold on tight. And that's been kind of the mentality that I have felt and they and students and faculty have felt. It's like, we're just, we're just trying to hold on right now and remain faithful. And so, but as I look to the future, I think that as, as things continue to get dark, um, that is a great opportunity for light. Um, the darker things get, the more dramatic the effect that light can bring. And so I look forward uh, with anticipation and hope for what can continue to happen um, on the campus and know that um, God can do amazing things. And so I'm very thankful and very um, hopeful that uh, there are good things on, on the horizon. And we're kind of in a replanting stage with the faculty ministry and with grad students. We had all our grad students uh, uh, graduate and move on, which is, which is great. But when you've had a small group, that means you've got to start over again. But campus life is, is coming back to life. There's more student activity, so I'm looking... Uh, very, it looks very hopeful for the fall semester to reconnect with some new, new students and reconnect with some existing faculty. And so I'm excited uh, for that. Um, and just lastly, we just want to express our immense gratitude uh, that you have continued to pray for us and to support us and to minister to us over these years. It's just, uh, Christine and I were talking on the way up. It's just, it's just amazing. And so you all hold a, a dear place in our hearts um, and we are just uh, grateful for your partnership in this, in this gospel work. And we love to see what's happening here and to keep you up to date as well. So uh, with that, um, I think I'll turn it over to Brad, right? Just call him up. Okay. But just for uh, me and my family, what, what we're about, what we're doing. So really quickly, the first picture is our family. So this is everyone. And to be honest, I feel really old today because our two oldest kids stayed here in the church service. They didn't go downstairs. And I remember when I was in college and I would often go downstairs during the church service uh, just because I got to work with the kids or uh, do other things. But now I'm, I'm here with my kids and they're not going anywhere. So uh, anyway... We serve in the Czech Republic with Josiah Venture. Um, I've been there 17 years. Uh, Lucy's been there her whole life. And um, it's unbelievable to just see how fast time goes and what's happening now. So if you're not familiar with Josiah Venture, um, I'll just tell you a few things. Next slide. Uh, Josiah Venture has a very clear vision 
And it's a movement of God among the youth of Central and Eastern Europe that finds its home in the local church and transforms society. And the focus is on former communist uh, bloc countries in Central and Eastern Europe because we believe that students really are open to the gospel and communism left a void that is now being filled by all kinds of things and Christianity has great potential there but students need someone to talk to, someone to be with. On the next slide, there's over 30 million young people in those countries and percentage-wise they say less than 1% are Christian. And they've done other studies, they've found that many students say, about 20% of students say, if I had someone to talk about Christianity with, I would be interested. But if there's 1% of the population that are Christian, the chances of you finding a Christian are, are pretty hard. So uh, we focus on young people because also they say statistically most people become Christians before they turn 21 years old. And so uh, as Jake said, those are very formative years and people are willing to make uh, pretty big decisions in their life at that point. So next slide. Um, these, are where, these are the countries where Josiah Venture serves. Uh, you can see where the Czech Republic is and um, Ukraine is not too far away. I'll tell you more about that uh, later, but we found uh, reaching students is a very uh, effective way through, through music, through sports, uh, through English, through schools, and through media. And uh, that's how I first went to Czech. I, I went to teach English, and the advantage I had was I was born here, and I don't know how to teach English, but I know how to speak. So, well, most of the time. And <laughs> the students just want to practice what they're learning in school. And so English is a huge opportunity uh, for reaching students, and sports, uh, media, um, just lots of different ways. And also in the schools, there's not this strict divide between church and state like there is in the US. And even though Czech is one of the most atheistic countries in the world, if you come in as a Christian and teach English, um, it just de depends on the principle of the school. If he doesn't care, he says, sure, talk about whatever. Or if, if it's Easter, they'll say, come and explain why Easter is so important to Christians. And we just say, okay, we'll be happy to do that. And uh, there's, there's lots of open doors. Um, next week, English camp starts. It's an English sports camp, so all the boys that don't care about English go, over the, go there for the sports. And our youth group is doing one. And uh, I got to visit all the, a lot of the schools in our city and just visit English classes, tell them about English camp, tell them about Chicago, show some pictures, teach them the Chicago accent, and then <laughs> invite them. And every year there's usually 50, 55 students that come. And this year there's 70. And uh, there's a, over 10 Ukrainians that will be at the camp. So we see that camps continue to be a really effective way for reaching new, new students. So next slide, um, you can see check where it is in Europe, and we live way over on the eastern tip of the Czech Republic, so it's a three, four hour drive to Ukraine, and um, we have lots of Ukrainians coming in now, and um, for me and my ministry, 
Uh, it's really focused on the region we live in. Uh, in the past, Lucy and I started a youth group in the church plant that we were a part of, and now others are leading the youth group. We're still helping out, but we're really branching out and uh, working with youth leaders in the surrounding region. And so we do training events, we do a lot of mentoring and coaching. Uh, Lucy meets with students, I meet with uh, students and leaders. Um, Lucy, she, she will come up and share really soon. But uh, next picture, this is, uh, these are some of the youth leaders in the region near us. And uh, Libor, their second from left, he started meeting with me um, a year ago in April because his pastor said, uh, Brad, Libor is thinking about leading the youth group, but he has a lot of questions about Christianity that he needs to get straight. And I think he'd be more open talking to you about that than me, and just he could be honest about his questions. And so for, for me, I, anytime someone is even considering working with youth or leading a youth group, you just you want to do whatever you can to help them because the number of those people in the Czech Republic is very few. And so that's, that's an example of what I do. We met several months. Um, he ended up deciding to lead the youth group and we still meet every month or so to talk about what's happening and uh, yeah, just share. He asks questions. I usually say I don't know, but I say I'll pray for you. And it's, it's a really neat way to just support them in the work that they're doing. Uh, the next picture is Bara and I'd like Lucy to come up and share about her because uh, as much as we're working in the region, we don't want to lose touch of uh, what's happening in our own local church. And Lucy's just got a very great gift with working with girls in that way, which I do not have. So sh she will share with that. Which I'm really glad he doesn't. <laughs> I guess he does because he's American and even if he has three children and wife, it doesn't stop some girls to be excited to get to America. <laughs> Anyway, so Bara, we met for the first time and she was, I think, 14 and she was really confused about her belief and she had crazy dreams and asking me a lot of questions even about spirits and devils and everything like that. And it was really scary f for me personally, but I was like, all right, if there is no one else, I will try to help her and support her. And now she's 18 years old She's still a believer. She's dating a Christian guy. Our kids are watching her really closely, so they were really concerned when she started dating someone. And I was so proud of her that she chosen, a, or he chosen to date her as a Christian girl. And now she's attending the high school, and it's a technical high school, and she's, she is the only girl in her classroom. So it's like full of the boys, so I'm like, you are the missionary in your classroom. I cannot be there, I'm too old for it. But you are amazing and just by being there and not using certain language or acting certain way, like she's influencing her classmates and that's what I love. And to be honest, I don't know when the teenage who finish, if you're even 50 and you're still a teenager, but she still has a bunch of questions. She's still dealing with a lot of things. So. I think her parents are pretty thankful that I'm meeting with her once a week because I can help them out a little bit with her teenagehood too, which is really fun. And just to let you know, in Czech Republic, when you have birthday, you usually invite your relatives. 
and maybe some of your friends, but it's not so often. You just celebrate it like separately. But she turned 18, and in Czech it means you, you're kind of, how to say, adult, or you have your ID and you can start drinking. That's a really big thing. So anyway, she invited all her relatives, and I was one, the only one who was like not the relative there. So I was being introduced to her grandparents and everyone, so that was kind of awkward but fun at the same time. But it was really cool and really nice, and I'm really thankful to God that I can walk alongside with her and help her and invest into her life because I see the fruit and that's really amazing and I don't know how you can do that or how much energy you have but I would really encourage you if you have someone that is helping you and discipling you that's really great if you can also disciple someone because I think it really helps your personal relationship with God because I cannot sin too much if I'm leading her because I want to be a good example. So she's actually really helping me with my walk with God. So that's personally great, amazing experience for me. And I'm really thankful that you're supporting us and you can be part of it, what's happening in Czech Republic and even in Bara's life because she's doing amazing. And I know she wouldn't be if we wouldn't be meeting in a good way. And it's not about me, but just about it. someone really invests into your life. And that's what I see my husband doing too. And I just love to see the guys being guys and becoming a man eventually too. So thank you for that. And yeah, I wish you the same too. Um, so as Lucy said, investing in these young people is what we want to be focused on. Um, there's one more guy I'd like to tell you about. His name's Peppa. And um, he is leading the youth group now, and he became a Christian four years ago. And he was at English camp. He actually first met us through an English class visit in the school. He heard about the youth group. He came. He said, I'm not interested in Christianity, but you guys seem like fun. And over time, he became interested. And then he became a Christian. He started working the youth group started serving on the team, and now he's leading the youth group. And it's been a wild year for him this past year. Um, at times it's been a little too much, but I've been really trying to walk alongside him in that. So uh, not just in our region, but even in our local church, working alongside Pep as the youth leader. That's uh, just a really great privilege to be a part of these students' lives. So um, next picture, uh, this is so these are some statistics of what's been happening with the humanitarian aid in Ukraine. Um, from our city, you can drive to Ukraine and be there in three and a half or four hours. And so as soon as this war started, um, people from our church drove to the border. They're waiting at the border and driving people back. And it's really a God thing, but our church already had two or three Ukrainian families attending for the last three years. And one of them really has a heart for reaching Ukrainians that are moving to Czech and working there um, because that's just been happening for, for many, many years. And then all of a sudden the war started and these Ukrainian families had all their families and relatives and anybody that knew them calling them saying, we got to get out of here. Can you help us? And all of a sudden, all these Ukrainians started coming in to our city and the whole country. 
and you've been hearing about it from afar, but it's been a very, uh, very, very hard thing to witness. And you hear about it in the news, but then you, you meet somebody and hear about how they, they were one of those people hiding in a cellar for three weeks, and now they're right here in your church. Um, last Sunday, an American missionary couple was at church, and they still live in Kiev. They don't have kids, so they said, we're going to stay and we're going to keep serving. And people keep asking him, why are you still here in Ukraine? Why haven't you gone back to the U.S.? And uh, praise God, they said there are so many open doors for ministry now. Um, the church has, again, become kind of the center of society in Ukraine. Uh, people know that's where you go if you need medicine, if you need food, if you need any kind of help. People there are doing whatever they can to help you. And uh, this missionary couple said, this was, this was perfect timing from God because after COVID, all these people had just stopped going to church. They were online. They had found a new rhythm, and they said, maybe I don't have to be in the church body physically. And the war started, and that just brought all the churches together in ways that no one would have expected. And um, these, these churches have been serving selflessly and uh, sacrificially. So the, the one thing that couple re requested was uh, just don't, don't forget about what's happening in Ukraine. It's not in the headlines like it used to be, but it's just as bad. It's gotten much worse. Many, many more people are dying now than at the beginning. And Russia is just obliterating everything in their path as they try to take over um, eastern Ukraine. And they said, please keep praying. Um, even for Lucy and me, it's a very frustrating feeling to be so close and seeing all these Ukrainians coming in and just feeling like there's not much more we can do but, but pray or care for those Ukrainians that are right in our church now. Um, but I encourage you to just keep praying. Remember the Christians. Pray for strength, for perseverance for them as they continue to serve because people are hearing the gospel as they are blessed and uh, have physical needs met in Ukraine. So, uh, yeah, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your, your messages of just saying you're thinking of us, supporting us. We really appreciate that. Um, our youth group is normally 20 students each week. Now there's 30, and it's 20 Czechs and 10 Ukrainians. So um, there's just all kinds of new dynamics with that. And uh, there's, our church has already performed two Ukrainian weddings in the last month. So Ukrainians just, they just have to keep living. You don't, you don't, you don't put life on hold. And um, I just heard a few days ago that there are six Ukrainians that are going back to Ukraine. They want to go back to Kharkov, which was one of those cities that has been completely destroyed. But they don't, they don't know what else to do in, in Czech. Um, Lots of these people are over 60 years old, and they say, I'm not going to learn the language. I, I want to go back to what I know. So it's, it's a hard time, but uh, we see God working. So thank you for your prayers. Um, last slide. If you, if you want to get our email update, we send that once a month. That's probably the best way to hear from us about what we're doing. 
And Josiah Venture has a prayer room online. If you just do a search for pray.josiahventure.com, you can you create an account, you sign in, you get up-to-date prayer requests, and you can be praying for missionaries and, and the things that they're doing. So thank you so much for uh, your prayers. We really uh, value your, your support. And uh, please, yeah, continue to remember Ukraine and the, the youth that we are ministering to in Czech Republic.